If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Brickenridge with you on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, certainly want to uh, focus here on the, the COVID situation in Canada. We, we are seeing cases rising pretty much right across the country, but uh, we, we've got a real uh, hotspot at the moment in Manitoba. And it's, um, I think, a cautionary tale because Manitoba was a jurisdiction that really up until a few weeks ago uh, had been doing very well, in fact, throughout much of this pandemic. So it's a reminder that past success is not a guarantee of future success. So we'll talk a bit about why things have gone sideways so seriously in Manitoba and what we can all learn from that. So I do want to talk about that side of the COVID situation, but I also want to get some some analysis of this news out of Denmark, which has got people feeling a little uneasy, to say the least. Uh, 17 million minks are going to be called in Denmark, and uh, they are watching some areas of Denmark very closely because of concerns over what appears to be a coronavirus mutation that has gone from these minks into humans uh, and, and the concern that this could potentially have on the efficacy of a vaccine. So, yeah, I mean, the, the stakes are potentially high, but how worried should we be? Joining us uh, for some insight on all this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Dr. Jason Kindrachuk, Assistant Professor of Viral uh, Pathogenesis, Department of Medical Microbiology at the University of Manitoba, also Canada Research Chair in Molecular Pathogenesis of Emerging and Reemerging Viruses. Dr. Kindrachuk, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Rob. So let's talk about the situation in Denmark, because people hear coronavirus mutation, uh, and, and instantly I think we all get pretty nervous. So what, what can you tell us about what we know with regard to this situation? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting dynamic, right? And, and most of it is because, um, you know, we're, we're dealing in uh, a time period where there's a lot of science, uh, you know, updates by press release. And that actually has, has limited what, what we really understand about the situation. So, so what, what we've been able to gather, and this is mostly by, um, by researchers from, from Europe, in particular, Dr. Emma uh, Hodcroft, who uh, has been able to kind of go through and, and piece together uh, some of the releases, um, they, they have identified uh, a few mutations um, in in mink, and what it starts to signify, it, it's not that surprising that you know when these viruses go across different species barriers. So they move from you know animals and humans, or you know you ultimately backwards if if they can from humans to animals, or even from humans to humans. Um, viruses will change, and, and they will start to adapt over time, usually to try to make transmission a little bit easier, because it's all about the virus being able to go from one person to the next. So when when we look at this uh, this idea of mutation. It suggests that maybe there is some there there. Maybe there is, you know, are some changes in in the virus that are enabling uh, some of the transmission we're seeing between mink because they are closed or, or housed in close quarters with one another. Um, it, it tends to kind of help the virus drive transmission. The question that we can't answer right now is 
what does this mean? Um, and I think um, Carl Bergstrom kind of said it perfectly this morning when, when we look at this new mutant or these new mutants that are showing up, we have to remember that there are millions of cases across the globe right now with, with the current circulating strain. Um, it will take a lot for any of these newly identified strains to, to take over. Um, and in particular, you know, with a lot of the vaccine development that's going on, the vaccines are actually trying to, um, uh, to utilize you know, much larger regions of, of the virus than these kind of very infinitesimally small areas uh, where these mutations are housed. So really what, what I'm trying to say in all that is it's interesting from a scientific standpoint. We want to understand what it means and if it does actually mean anything. Um, but it certainly doesn't raise any red flags right now to say we're in trouble. Um, you know, we, I think we're, we're well far off from that. Uh, we, we just need to understand what, what this virus is actually doing uh, in mink. Well, and it, and it certainly does seem to, to thrive in mink, right? They're, they're very susceptible to it as, as a species. So it sounds like this was humans that infected mink, and then those minks then reinfected some humans, and that's where we saw these, these differences. Right. And, and it's, you know, it is one of these things with viruses that we you learn over time. And we, we've certainly seen this with big cats as well, um, with the ability of humans to be able to infect, um, you know, tigers and lions. I mean, this is one of these aspects that came, I think we're all kind of surprised. We're trying to figure out what this means uh, for SARS coronavirus 2, the virus that causes COVID-19. And does this actually start to give us any information about how this virus emerged and where it emerged from? So in terms of the response in Denmark, and I suppose that adds to the perceived gravity of this story, just, you know, the reaction the Danish officials are taking and that they're going to call 17 million minks, and, and that's a big hit to an important industry in Denmark. I guess it just shows the importance of taking things seem, taking these kinds of things very seriously, even if the threat isn't, isn't as great as perhaps some fear. Absolutely right. It's, it's about being proactive uh, rather than reactive. And, and I think that's the, the aspect that we have to understand with, uh, with COVID-19 is, you know, we, we just found, you know, saw this virus 10 months ago. Um, so we're still learning what it does. And, and I think we don't want to be in a situation where six months down the line, a year down the line, we realize that, oh, we should have been more proactive in, in a specific area. We've had some of those moments already. Um, this is something that I think people want to be as precautious with as possible. Uh, it's unfortunate, obviously, um, for you know, not only for the bank industry, but for, for these animals, there's always that you know, problem about animal wear, welfare. And, and certainly, um, you know, it brings a, a lot of questions up about you know, this idea of, of these viruses that emerge and, and are able to flip back and forth between humans and animals and what we should do preventatively. Um, but but I, I think you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of nations standing up now and saying we, we have to figure out a mechanism to control this virus as well as possible. Yeah, that's some, some great points on that. Let's talk about the situation where you are in Manitoba, and it, it's a concern, obviously, another 427 cases today, hospitalizations up to 153, which is pretty comparable to even where Alberta's at, a province that's a few times bigger. So how did things go so bad so quickly in Manitoba, a province that have been doing very well up until recently? Well, you know, it's, it is one of these interesting aspects, right, that, you know, now is the time when uh, I think we're all trying to figure out, okay, what, what happened. And the unfortunate aspect is I think we, we can't really address that question until we, we get through the current crisis. Um, you know, is it because of complacency? Is it because of uh, restrictions that came in too late? Is it because we didn't get hit with the virus hard and when the virus got in the communities, it exposed the vulnerabilities that we just had at, at essentially at a community, community level? 
I don't think there's an easy answer, and it likely relies on all those different variables. The, the simple fact is, is you know, really, to be honest with you, I'm in, I'm in Saskatoon right now. I came out here to do 12 months of COVID research to help um, you know, lead uh, some of our national research efforts. Um, I left the province July 15th when there had been 330 cases total in the province. Now, I think we're sitting at around 6,700 in Manitoba. And, and certainly, we've seen, you know, what is it, 21 uh, uh, deaths in, in the last week alone, and usually on a bad flu season. And Brent Rusin had said it's about 29. So, you know, all these factors are all going in the wrong direction. And really, it's this idea of we need to figure out where to concentrate efforts just to try to get the virus under control at this point. Um, we can go back afterwards and figure out where we where we had cracks in the system. Um, but certainly right now, the floodgates are open and, and we don't, I think we're running out of a lot of options uh, to, to, to try and control this virus. Yeah, and that's the worrying thing. I mean, I think everyone anticipated that once uh, the weather got colder, we got into fall and winter, we would start to see cases increase. But I think it's maybe just how quickly that's all happened. And, and we're not even really into winter yet either. It's it's a little worrying in terms of what might lie ahead, isn't it? Well, certainly. And and I think one of the aspects that you know has kind of gotten missed a little bit with, with what's going on in Manitoba is that when you look at the fatalities, um, we are not dealing just with fatalities in in the elderly. We are actually seeing fatalities, you know, in really you know ages from I think 40 and above. Um, and actually, I think another one of the ones that was announced today was uh, somebody in their 50s. Um, so you know, I think this does go back to this idea that this is a virus that can affect everybody in our community. And certainly, um, we need to do everything we can because we see what happens. As soon as the virus gains a foothold, those cases go from a few a day up to dozens, up to hundreds. Um, And it happens exceedingly quickly. Uh, And we certainly don't want to see other areas of Canada um, get in that situation if they have the opportunity to try and control it as early as possible. And I guess it isn't to say that Manitoba got complacent necessarily, but, you know, it it is a cautionary tale, isn't it, that just because a jurisdiction has had some success, it's not a guarantee that it's going to continue to be that way. No, that, that's exactly it. I, you know, listen, I, I live in a, a world of, uh, of emerging viruses, and, and the, the respect that I have for them um, is the fact that they are unpredictable. Um, we can't say for certainty, you know, what are, you know, what the trends we see today will dictate what happens tomorrow or happen a week from now or two weeks from now. And I think this is one of these aspects where, um, you know, somewhere when we finally get through COVID-19 and we will get through it, uh, it's a matter of sitting down and, and trying to figure out across different uh, expertise uh, or, or people of different expertise what happened, where where were the cracks, um, what were the things that maybe we didn't understand about the virus that will help us be more prepared um, the next time around when we see another virus like this come through. Yeah, that's an important point, too. Now, as we try to figure out how to get through these coming months here, maybe uh, to end on a bit of an optimistic note, I mean, I think we are seeing some encouraging signs of progress in vaccine development. What's your sense in in, in more general terms as to, to where we're at and maybe your thoughts on what kind of a timetable we're on here? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I did a, a panel uh, discussion yesterday, and we're talking about vaccines. And, and the one thing I keep trying to get across to people is, you know, yes, things seem pretty dire right now, uh, obviously, in regards to COVID, and specifically in areas where there's high transmission rates. We're in the best position we've ever been throughout history in terms of vaccine development. Um, we have dozens of vaccines that are in clinical trials. We have, you know, well over uh, 150 that are in preclinical development. Um, 
we are unbelievably well positioned right now. It's just that this takes some time when it's a brand new virus. But we're looking at different platforms. We are seeing uh, products that are going through that are in late phase uh, three trials right now. You know, I, I think the time frame is still early 2021. We will probably see multiple vaccine candidates that that, that are licensed, and then hopefully by you know, late 2021, um, we'll see deployment of the vaccines out to the general population. So, it'll, of course, it'll be stratified, most vulnerable populations first, high-risk groups first, and then moving out to the general population. But, but I think we're still on that general timeline. And I guess, you know, we can almost expect waves or generations then of vaccines, and, and perhaps, the, you know, the second wave or the second generation of vaccines will be even better than, than the first, and, and so on. Is that something else we should anticipate? One hundred percent, Rob, right? So we know the first generation vaccines um, may not provide us with sterilized immunity. They may only provide us with some sort of protective immunity. Um, but the simple fact is, is that the second generation, third generation vaccines are all improving upon those first generation vaccines. And we've seen this with the smallpox vaccines that have been rolling through clinical trials the last few years. Um, you know, we, we expect that by the second and third generation vaccines, we will see vaccines that are tailored towards specific populations and, and likely give stronger uh, you know, a stronger protection as well as longer duration of protection. All right, we'll leave it there. Really appreciate the insight, uh, Dr. Kindrachuk. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me on, Rob. All the best. Take care. Dr. Jason Kindrachuk at the University of Manitoba, Canada Research Chair in Molecular Pathogenesis of Emerging and Reemerging Viruses. So some important insight, too. And, and I know that the story out of Denmark just seems really unnerving. And it is something to keep an eye on. And it's just a reminder that there's, there's an overarching interest in trying to limit spread as much as we can, right? And obviously in Alberta and other jurisdictions, we're trying to strike a balance between keeping cases to, to a realistic minimum and you know, trying to protect the economy. And these are all important considerations. But it, it further to that point, though, that he made, I mean, you know, the more the virus spreads, the more potential there is for these tiny little changes to occur. And there's that concern as well that the more it spreads, the more it could perhaps, you know, find a reservoir in certain kinds of animals, minks being one, cats is another, right? And, you know, maybe cats is, is more worrying because people have cats as pets and they're all kinds of uh, big cats in the wild and in zoos. And so you don't want that to become an issue because then we got to figure out, well, we're not going to call, are we going to call all the house cats? No. Is there a vaccine we need to develop for cats? Is that going to work? So we don't want to be creating additional problems for ourselves. So it's it's a reminder why it's it's good to try to strive for uh, a minimum of transmission, whatever that that is, realistically, just to prevent those kinds of problems. But in the meantime, you know we're we're maybe not as bad on a per capita basis as Manitoba, but it's a reminder. Look, Manitoba seemed to be doing just fine a few weeks ago, even. And uh, things have taken a really quick turn for the worse there. And, you know, we've certainly seen through the month of October, things escalate pretty quickly here in Alberta. And we've seen some plateauing over the last week or so. Um, of course, I guess we got to wait to see maybe by next week some indication of what the Halloween weekend uh, might have presented for us. And as the weather starts to turn even colder than it's already been, you know, we've, we've got some challenges in trying to contain this. All right, 403-974-8255 is our number here. 403-974-TALK. My name is Rob Breckenridge. We're back with more right after this. 
Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.